0: What's brewing, CISFA? What's brewing, CISFA is a podcast produced by the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. Today is one of our group of makeup episodes that count for being off the air for about two weeks while being on vacation. So in this episode, we're going to keep a short, but to the point look at one aspect of financial aid. So let's get this show going. And welcome to, again, another special episode, really, of What's Brewing CISFA. Today's topic is gonna be student loans. I'll try to keep it non-controversial. But again, we've talked about some things in the last few episodes going back to financial aid concepts, understanding professional judgment, satisfactory academic progress, administering financial aid, and somewhere back in there, the magic formula. So today, I just want to take a look at student loans and kind of a broad look at this. And uh, why? Because it's been a topic in the news quite a bit lately. And in, in society, anytime you're talking about loans where it's money lent out It's a complicated issue. You know, who you're lending to, what are the criteria for, what's the expectation of return, uh, and why are we doing, why do we make loans? You know, I mean, there are some societies probably still out there that, you know, don't believe in borrowing money. But is that a stronger, less strong society because of that? Because in a sense, then, the only way to purchase something is to actually have the money on hand, you know there's some you know there's obviously good and bad to that but let's talk a little bit about student loans only and not get into the whole world of debt i'm sure there's some gigantic books written about that by economists so when did student loans start probably many many years ago <clears throat> somebody probably gave a loan to a promising student going to college or maybe a seminary to help them along the way and why would they have done so probably with some kind of expectation that maybe that person would come work for that company for a number of years to pay it off, or that they would do certain types of uh, community work. So there could have been some strings attached uh, almost certainly if there were. As far as organized student loans, a lot of it came out of what we're going to call the Sputnik era. You know, the Sputnik era was way back before many of us were born. But again, that was the space race where, again, The Soviet Union, or now known as the former Soviet Union, but the Soviet Union, including Russia, had put up a satellite, Sputnik. And they seemed to be getting ahead of the United States on getting into space, let alone any man traveling space. And so put forth by the federal government was this idea that we need to have more students in college doing math and science and the other types of engineering things that would get us, on the path to beating the Soviet Union. So in particular, one program that came out of that era was the Perkins Loans. The Perkins Loan Program. This is a, one of the earliest of the student loan programs that uh, in a sense was to help students pay for these costs to go to school and get them through. Now in reality, it's not the only program, of course, out there. There are certainly some other things that have come along the way. And so afterwards, we also have what was the major student loan program while I was in school called the FELP program, or actually F-F-E-L-P is the abbreviation there. And that was the Federal Family Education Loan Program. This was the federal government's way of helping a wider swath of students pay for school. And this is the program where, back in the day, lenders like banks, credit unions, savings and loans would lend money to students under the, federal, under the guise of the federal government and having the, the, the student be eligible for federal aid, lend them out money that actually came from the banks. But what was in there was a guarantee from the federal government that if the student was to uh, be delinquent on payment, default on their repayment, that the federal government would pay off. I don't think it was 100% ever, but a high percentage of that loan to the bank. So there was some risk for the lenders, uh, but for a program that had a fairly high uh, guarantee on it, it was probably certainly worthwhile. And, I, and in a sense, then, the federal government was able to spread the risk out among many, many lenders. Lenders could compete on certain types of services, like maybe turnaround time. Uh, many of them offered things like reduced interest rates. If you did automatic payment setup, they would lower your interest rate. And certain things like that. But everything else would be otherwise the same from one to another. You know, the interest rates were set every year by the federal government. The repayment options were set by the federal government. Um, But, you know, there could be other things along the way. So this federal family education loan program was around for the longest time and, in a sense, allowed schools to link up with lenders that would then make student loans to their students. But at some point, feeling that there may be too much... uh, I don't know, too many incentives come into colleges and such. The federal government created in the early 90s what was known as the Federal Direct Student Loan Program. Same kind of rules as the Federal Family Education Loan Program, but in here, the loan money was coming directly from the federal government. In a sense, straight from the U.S. Treasury. Same application form, but instead of using private lenders, you use the federal government, they were taking in on this. When it first started, I have to say I was a little uh, concerned that eh, I didn't want to do that. I liked working with the lenders. I felt that I had this kind of connection in particular because I would borrowed through my local credit union, my student loans. But amazingly, over time, that really changed. And in a sense, it got to the point that we, in a sense, stopped that federal family education loan program years ago and now all colleges are just in the direct loan program. Now, uh, for those who've been reading or watching the news over the last couple of years, even pre-pandemic, you know that there's always some issues with this because even even though the money's coming directly from the federal government, the federal government isn't in a sense servicing all those student loans on their own. They're not sending out the correspondence, the emails, collecting payments, etc. They, in a sense, have connected back with Many of the same organizations that either made student loans in the old days, like banks and such, or were servicing those loans on behalf of banks, you know, taking payments, handling customer service calls. These same servicers, many of them, handle most of those same services for everyone who's in the direct loan program. So when you used to hear about Sally Mae or FIA or uh, uh, Texas Guarantee or Mohila. These are all organizations that, in a sense, you know, were servicing loans or handling the guarantees of loans back in the day. <clears throat> they ended up working for the feds to help them manage the gigantic loan, you know, portfolio of student loans out there. And in recent years, there's been a lot of discussion on Capital Hill and such about whether, uh, these servicers are doing their job properly, correctly, giving the correct information to students. Keeping in mind that the federal government likes to change things on the fly. Uh, I can't even tell you how many delays we've had or moratorium extensions on the requirement to make student loan repayments during the pandemic alone. I mean, think about it that way. Students have not had to make payments for the last couple of years. Has that been properly communicated? Probably. But at the same time, you have to consider that it's a moving target of sorts. So there's a lot of discussion on the, the pros and cons of this. I don't think we'll ever return to a world of money from the lenders themselves. The federal government's in on this. It's just a matter of making this system work better. But it is something that leads into the last part of the topic for today. You know, we, there's been a lot of talk about student borrowing over the years because it seems to have, in a sense, uh, ballooned beyond probably anyone's expectations. When it was just the old days of federal student loans, most of it was you know, for students doing their undergraduate studies. And then there was limits on how much you could get even as a graduate student, but there were limits. And then a number of years ago, they created what they called grad plus loans. So loans for graduate students, similar to the way a plus or what the parent loans of undergraduate students looked like, which was the ability to borrow significantly more per school year to cover your cost of attendance. And thus graduate student borrowing really helped uh, balloon up the total amount out in student loans. We're at the point that, you know, it was just a matter of years ago. It feels like we passed a 1 trillion point in outstanding student loans. Now we're at 1.6 trillion or more outstanding student loans. And with the pandemic riding on top of all of this, there's been a lot of talk in Washington about loan forgiveness. Now, you know, over the last 10 to 20 years, there's been loan forgiveness out there, but it's been very specific. Students who have total and permanent disabilities could have loans canceled out because that made sense. They're probably uh, more likely not to be able to get gainful employment type of positions due to their total and permanent disability. And thus, should we expect them to repay their student loans? There's cases where schools have been closed while a student was going to them and wasn't able to complete their program, sometimes for malfeasance, sometimes for other reasons. But those students, in a sense, were unable to complete their program. Many of them may get loan forgiveness too. But what people are asking for now is really a morphing of it completely. I mean, there's yes, there's the understanding that uh, uh, the average student now has a, you know, Honda Civics worth of uh, uh, student loans. As far as the average borrower who went to college, keeping in mind not everyone goes to college and borrows, but that's the approximate amount. I think you know it's a high twenties, maybe low thirties as far as thousands of dollars that a student will borrow on average. But of course, the news stories that you see in the uh, newspapers of record will always point out those top 5% of students who have got 100000 or $200,000 or more. Now, there's certainly reasons why you might need to borrow that kind of money. I know people who might have borrowed that kind of money to get law degrees and medical degrees and other things like that. So there's some payoff to it. But not every student thinks about the payoff and thus they may be stuck with a significant amount of debt for a program that does not have that same uh, numerative uh, repayment on the other end as far as earning money in that field. And so I think this is where a lot of that discussion is going on as far as do we have, you know, certain parts of the administration right now are thinking, you know, a certain amount per student maximum, or do we address it to students who may not have completed their academic programs You know, some of the biggest areas, if it's an issue of trying to address defaults, we know that the highest level of defaults is not based upon the dollar amount borrowed. It's really based upon whether or not the student completed their academic program. Because if you think about it, maybe you've only borrowed a few thousand dollars and got one year into a two-year associate degree, but you never completed. Well, you don't have that academic credential, and thus you're not seeing the payoff for it. But you're still stuck with the student loan. Or on a bachelor's degree, you get three years in and never complete that fourth. Now, you maybe have three years of student loans. And again, you don't have the credential. And the way our society works here, for good or bad, is that credential makes the world a difference compared to just going to college. It's what employers look for as kind of the way to help determine if you're the type of employee they're looking for. And so I have a lot of opinions on this. I'm not going to go much farther into it. We may do some longer episodes later with maybe some interviews here before we get to our episode number 200 in a in a matter of weeks. But it's some area to look at, and I'm going to tell you one of the last of my makeup episodes here. I'm going to go to the bookstore and give you the list of types of books I've been reading on this kind of stuff so you too can get up to date on what's going on in the world of student loans. But until then know that we still have a couple more of these special episodes to go, so you'll have a full weekend's worth of episodes you'll want to listen to them all but for today this is all we have time for i do want to thank you for tuning in keep in mind that what's brewing siswa is a production of studio 1051 a creative collaboration of me and dana Yarbrough. and this has been episode number 189 recorded friday may 27th 2022 Everybody have a great day.